Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm, I'm glad to be here today. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm a member here at Riverside. And, uh, you know, we're still in the midst of celebrating Christmas. And so I was preparing for this sermon. Uh, I just thought about Christmas time. And there is, there's just so many things that come to mind for me. Um, you know, of course, the, 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 everything that surrounds the birth of Jesus, you know, the manger scene and the shepherds, the angels and uh, uh, the birth of Jesus. I, I also think of family traditions, you know, getting together with extended family, um, the kids getting up every day and reminding you that Christmas is coming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, I love the lights in the neighborhood. Uh, for me, I always like to try to watch White Christmas and Elf. Those are my two go-to movies for Christmas. And inevitably hearing the song Last Christmas five million times by every artist under the sun. Um, I'd like to start a petition after this. We could retire that song. It would be okay with me. So there's all kinds of things that we think of around Christmas. Um, but two that really do stand out for me are the ideas of peace and unity. You know, they're in the songs that we sing, uh, they're in the Christmas cards that we get, they're even in the ads that we get bombarded with, you know, from October 1 through, uh, you know, the, the 24th of December. But there's a good reason for that. It's one of the major reasons why Jesus came, is to bring peace and unity. And you see it in uh, Luke chapter 2, when the angels say this to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then what happens next? A huge group of angels shows up, and they start singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's good news for all people. We are unified in Jesus, and because of that, we can have peace together as a family for those who believe in Him. So on this last Sunday of 2018, which I can't believe this year has flown by, and it's also our, our last um, uh, week in our sermon series of Living Scripture, this is what I want to focus on today, the ideas of peace and unity. And there's a lot of different Scripture you could look at, but what I'd really like to do is dive into Ephesians chapter 4 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. And here's the main point that I think Paul is trying to explain to us today. He's who wrote the letter. As followers of Jesus, and more than that, as part of God's family through Jesus, we should be living in unity and peace with one another. So that's our big thought for today. And Paul's going to dissect this in, in this passage um, and answer three different questions that I, I want to look at with you. Why should we live in unity in the first place? Why does it even matter? And the second question is, what does it look like to have unity in the family of God? And then finally, how do we actually do it? I'm not talking about the surface level, you know, how are you, I'm fine, good, you're fine. I'm talking about unity that is deep and real and lasting. So that's where we're going to go today. So before we uh, dive into the scripture, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. 
Thank you for the reality that we can call you Father, that you want us to be part of your family and that Jesus gave us that opportunity. I ask today that you just open our our hearts, open our minds, reveal things to each one of us in here that you want us to take from your word and ask it to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you haven't already, you can take out your Bibles or your phones and uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. And the scripture says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He also descended in, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's an awful lot in there, and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, loves his run-on sentences. So we're going to break this down a little bit. I'm not the world's greatest biblical scholar, but I hope you heard the theme, unity, peace, oneness. He repeats it over and over again. So I think we're on the right track as far as where we're going today. Now, before we dive in a little bit deeper, I just want to give you some context around um, this particular passage and this letter um, always a good idea when you're reading Scripture, know where it's coming from so you can interpret it correctly and, and really apply it to your life. Now, the Apostle Paul, um, he's writing this letter from prison. He's in Rome at this point, and he is writing it to the church in Ephesus. And this is a group of people that he knew really well. He had lived with them for three years. And it wasn't some sort of surface living. It wasn't him coming in and Okay, good morning, here's the gospel, see you guys later. It was day in, day out, spending time, highs, lows. He was what we talk about here at, at Riverside, he was incarnating, right? It's one of the core things we believe in. It's, it's really doing life together. 
So this was a group of people he knew really well. He called them friends. And we can also see from the beginning of his letter that this was a, a healthy church. These, these were people who were being faithful followers of Jesus and supporting each other. As Paul says this, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So his intention with this letter was to offer encouragement, to remind them, keep doing what you're doing. Continue in building this unity that you have in Jesus and being faithful followers of him. So that's the background of this letter. And it leads us to our first question today. Why should followers of Jesus live in unity in the first place? Why does it even matter? Let's look back at verses 1 through 3. And actually, in particular, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul's saying here it's important that we live in unity because we have been called to it because of what Jesus has done for us. Throughout the entire letter leading up to this point, and I encourage you if you have a chance to, to look in, and spend some time in Ephesians this week, it's awesome the way that Paul breaks down the gospel. I'm going to try to summarize it here a little bit for you. He was reminding his friends in Ephesus of, of where they came from and where God has taken them. You know, he reminds them that they, and it's true of all of us as well, were born enemies of God that we've rebelled against God and that we deserved his punishment and we just had no way out. That's where they were. And that's where they came from. But God, still say the best two words in the Bible, but God stepped in and did something about it because of how much he loved them and how much he loves each and every one of you. I want that to be personal for you. He did it for you. Through his death and resurrection, God gave us a way back, a way to be connected to him and still be completely loving and completely just. That's a sermon for another day. But what Jesus did on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice for the atonement of all sin. So with all of this in mind, that's what Paul is laying out for them in the first part of this letter. He's reminding the Ephesian church that they are reconnected to God through their faith in Jesus, but that we are also now connected to each other as the family of God. Now, that's a big thought and, and it's a nice idea, but just because we're joined together doesn't mean that we don't have differences. We have a lot of differences. I think it's part of God's sense of humor and how he uses us. In the world, I think we see it many times, those differences, they drive wedges between us. But when we are unified in Jesus, those differences can actually bring us closer together. God uses them. He uses them to refine us, to bring out things we never saw in ourselves, to maybe take off some of those rough edges. I know I've had maybe one or two of those taken off over the last several years. Um, 
But that's part of God's plan of how He uses all of our differences to bring us closer together and to bring us in a better knowledge and relationship of His Son, Jesus. You know, I really started seeing this, as Ezra mentioned, um, when I first started coming to Riverside, it took me a little bit of time, and then I got into some small groups and then started doing some one-on-one discipleship where I'd just be sitting down with somebody and we're, you know, reading through the Bible. And without fail, I always, always, always walked away with something I never would have seen on my own. This idea of unity and, and community, we know God better when we're learning about Him together. And that's just part of the way he works. You know, we bring different perspectives. And again, maybe you might be looking around and maybe your belief in Jesus is the only thing you have in common with someone in here. But I'm here to tell you that is that unity is powerful enough that I, as an Eagles fan, can say that I am great friends with Patriot and Cowboy fans, Right? Anything is possible with Jesus, right? If you didn't believe, now you have the proof. But on a really, a a very true and practical level, Jesus brings us together. Thank you, Dimple. (laughs) There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are united as one body, warts and all, in Jesus. That is why living in unity is important. We could spend all day diving into that more, um, but there's some other things that, that Paul addresses here in his letter that I'd like to move on to. So let's take a look at the second question. What does living in unity as believers actually look like? Now, Paul weaves this all throughout this passage, but I want to look back at verses 1 through 3 again, and I want to ask you a favor. Um, If you have a pen, underline a couple of words. You can highlight it on your phone, and it's okay. You're allowed to write in your Bible. It's a good thing. Take some notes. Um, And I want you to underline a couple of words and some phrases here. In verse 1, you can underline the word walk. In verse 2, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And then finally in verse 3, eager. Take a look at those words. They're all active words or, or things that we need to choose to do. Living in unity as the family of God is not a passive thing, a passive thing. We need to engage with it. So I want to break down each of these words a little bit. And um, the word walk, when you see that in the Bible, many times that's a metaphor for how you are living your life. It's your daily walk. It's, it's what you do in the mundane. Once the alarm goes off and you've had your fifth cup of coffee, what does the rest of your day look like? Right? That, that's, that's our daily walk. And it says that we are supposed to walk out our lives because we're called to live in a way that reflects the reality of what Jesus has done for us. Now, a couple of these other words I actually looked up, um, so I think it's easy for me to kind of gloss over what they really mean. So here are some definitions. The first one, humility, the quality of being humble, 
a modest opinion of one's own importance. Gentleness, kind, not severe, rough, or violent. Eager, enthusiastic, zealous, fired up, passionate. Patience is one of my favorites. Enduring a provocation, an annoyance, a misfortune, or pain without complaint, loss of temper, or irritation. My wife's not here today. She would tell you that's one that I am continuing to work on. And then finally, bearing with one another in love. I made my own definition up of this one. I came up with this. Enduring the shortcomings and challenges that other people bring into your life and doing it in love, without an attitude, without conditions. These words that Paul has chosen here, what he's describing, these things, when we do them, they help build unity in the church. Now, if you're here today and you are following Jesus, I want to ask you this question. Are these characteristics that you see in your life? Are these things that the people around you would say they see in your life? If the answer is yes, then praise God for that, for cultivating that in you. Ask Him to help you continue in that. If the answer is no or maybe not as much as you would like, take that to God too. Several things on this list I need to continually take back to God. Ask for His help. He's not going to force these things on you, but if you ask Him, He will give it. He wants to. Let's look a little bit further in the passage for some other insights. Paul goes on to describe a little bit more of what living in unity looks like. And I want to take a look at verses 11 through 15. I'll read through it again real quickly here. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, Paul's telling us several things here. First off, he's reminding us that we've all been given gifts by God. He's pointing out in verse 11 here some specific gifts of people who um, can teach the Word and and share about Jesus with others. Um, But there's a lot of other gifts. And actually, if you look at the letter of uh, 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote in chapter 12, he describes some more of these gifts. And starting in verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, and I'm going to 
shorten it here a little bit, to another the word of knowledge, another faith, another gifts of healing, another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. I think you can see that idea of oneness again being carried through here. This is not an exhaustive list of what the gifts are that God has. But what I want you to take away with this is there are as many gifts out there as wide as God's imagination. And He's given each one of you unique gifts to use for His kingdom. Do you realize that? Is that something that you actually take some time and, and, and think about and say, okay, what gifts, what skills, ability has God given me? You know, I think sometimes in, in the busyness of our lives, we can just kind of gloss over this. We're just trying to churn through, get through the day, and let alone trying to, to find those or identify those gifts that we have. Looking at the gifts of the people around us maybe doesn't even occur to us. Or maybe that's the opposite. Maybe we do, but we downplay them. How often do you look around and say, man, I wish I could do what he does. I wish I could do what she does. That may not be the gift that God gave you. Sometimes we can even misuse our gifts. So one of my challenges for you today is just think about that. Go to God. Talk to Him. What are those gifts? And if you know what those gifts are, how is he asking you to use them? Now, when I thought about this for myself and trying to identify my gifts, first thing that came to my mind was singing is not one of them. I apologize to anyone I sit around uh, during service. But here are my gifts as far as what I could come up with. I'm good with data. I'm good with spreadsheets. I can organize stuff. Uh, I'm good at strategy and planning. So I am awesome at a party, okay? I am a good time. Your hors d'oeuvres will come out on time, the right temperature, the house will be clean, everyone will be sitting next to who they need to sit next to. It's, it's, it's going to be awesome, right? How do I use those gifts, right? Kind of mundane. Well, my day job is working at an ad agency. And so these skills that God has given me allow me to be relatively effective at my job, which then opens up doors for me to build relationships with my coworkers and with clients. And that gives me then a chance to work with them and hopefully reflect Jesus to them and just how I do the day-to-day -day stuff. And I've seen God use that. Um, I... I I'm the default guy whenever a Bible question comes up. Well, I ask Paul. He's the one who goes to church all the time. You know, I don't talk about that a lot, but they must see something, and I'm hoping it's good. And we've had some interesting conversations that I would have never thought. I've had a chance to pray for people, even just through email. I work with a lot of media vendors. I've had you know, people, they've lost a loved one. Oh, sorry, I was out of the office. Hey, can I pray for you? And it's blossomed into conversations. Sometimes it doesn't. But God is using 
those skills that I have and giving me opportunities in unique situations that I'm the only one that's in there. God's put me there. Don't always do it perfectly, and, and, and he certainly helps me in all of those times. You know, another area that, uh, or another gift that I thought of, um, I choose to call it a gift. You can ask my wife about this, but my maturity level has peaked at about 10. I'm looking around, some of the smile, can we round up to 10? Do you think that's fair? All right, we'll round up to 10. What do I do with that? I'm a goofball, okay? Um, how does God use that? He's done it in two ways for me. I serve in the kids' ministry, so I serve with the twos and threes and the fours and fives, so maturity level, we're like right there. We get along, we understand each other well. Um, and at home, kind of become like the big kid in the neighborhood. So when my son wants to go out and play football and all of his friends, you know, hey, Paul, you know, can your dad come out and play too? I come out and play. I'm all-time quarterback. I'm phenomenal. Um, if they ever drop a pass, it's their fault. And I don't have to chase them when I'm all-time quarterback, which is awesome. How's God used that, right? In the classrooms, I've got little buddies, you know, I, I've been able to see them now. Boy, I've been here for a long time, but, you know, as they grow up, I get to see them and how they're learning more about Jesus. Um, I, I've built relationships with parents. You know, you come in, you're dropping your kids off, you're picking them up, and there's friendships that have developed there. At home... Um, our house, which is awesome, I've always prayed for this, our house is becoming like the hangout spot. Kids want to come over. Um, and we feed them, you know, we hang out, we play, uh, we pray. They see that, they see, you know, how we treat each other. Not always good, but they also see what we do about that too, how we forgive each other. And they feel safe there. They know it's a place where there's something different. And I, it's not just because we're nice people, we're relatively nice people, but it's because of how God has transformed our hearts. Those are the unique situations that, that God has put me in. And those are some of the skills that he's given me to build up unity and, and, and to pour into other people. And here's the, the thing that I want you to walk away with today. Each one of you is in a unique situation. Nobody else in this room or in this world is in the same spot you are in. Nobody else in this world has the same skills and abilities that you do. God has put you here for a reason. Pray about that. How are you using those skills? And are you using them to do what Paul tells us here in the end of verse 2? Are you using your gifts for building up the body of Christ? That's our primary call as a member of God's family, building each other up. Now, Paul goes into a little bit more detail into well, what, what does building up actually look like? And he, he gives us a couple different examples here. Verse 13, 
He says that we're called to help each other to know Jesus better. If we can just start there and do that in a halfway decent job, all this other stuff is going to fall in place. If we can help other people know Jesus, that is a great use of your skills and abilities. In the second half of verse 13 and into verse 14, he also tells us that we're to help others to grow in maturity and discernment. We have so much thrown at us, day in, day out, a lot of stuff that looks really good and makes sense. But if you're not grounded in the truth of who Jesus is and what his word tells us, we are very easily swayed. You know, I always find the times when I go off track, it's when I haven't been praying quite as much or maybe not, you know, I didn't have time for my devotional this morning, I didn't have time to... And all of a sudden, I st- it goes very quickly, small steps. So we need to grow in maturity, and we need to grow in discernment. Not every good idea is a good idea. We need to measure that up against what God says. And that takes me to one of the other big points that um, I think Paul is making here. In verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love. To me, this is one of the biggest differences in how the world views unity and how the Bible describes unity in Christ. And I also think it tends to be a major sticking point for a lot of people with Christianity because what we're saying is there's an ultimate truth and the world doesn't actually like that too much. You know, we're looking at unity in Christ. That means it's centered on an unchanging, holy, and just God and that what he says about the world How he defines things, that's truth, that's final. Um, I'd argue the world's view is much more fluid. You know, for the most part, I'd say everybody's kind of on board with love, like, you know, let's all get along and, and be happy together. But from a truth perspective, that seems to change day by day. And a lot of times it's self determined. How do you create unity when you have a moving target? all the time. You know, I think, uh, and I know I've seen it, but that, that whole idea of love and everything's okay, that can go out the window real quickly when someone has a truth that they want to get across to you. Or sometimes, maybe we go overboard, or the world goes overboard with this idea of love, and just everything is okay. You know, we have family members that keep doing things that are hurting themselves that are driving them further away from Jesus. And in the world's idea of love, it's tough to confront those issues. But that's not truth in love in Christianity. You know, we can love people unconditionally, but we can still address those painful things in their lives. We can still address sin. But we do it in a loving way. And we do it through what Jesus has done for us. You know, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. We are called to love people enough to say the hard things they need to hear in a loving way. That approach helps create unity in the family of Christ.
Now, when I was thinking about all these aspects and characteristics of what unity in Christ looks like, I was trying to think back on some specific examples of times where I've experienced that, and I was very blessed to realize I have had a lot, which is awesome. Um, God's been so good to me from that. Um, But one in particular stood out for me, and that was the Brazil mission trip that I was able to go on and be a part of back in 2015. I can't believe it's been that long already. What I saw during that trip was, I think, a, a glimmer of what true unity in Christ looks like. And I actually kept a notebook. Um, I have it up here if anybody wants to look through. Um, I don't know if I told all the people who were on the trip. Some of them are here today. I was keeping notes on all of you. Um, Part of what I was doing was just looking for how was Jesus at work? How were people using their skills and ability to serve God in this setting? And there were so many of them, but I just jotted a couple down here. We'd be here for hours if, if I shared everything. But... If it was from, you know, Elliot and Kelly, I saw growth in leadership. I saw growth in their faith and the way that the two of you poured into the team and to the kids especially. I still picture the two of you playing on the street. They were using their skills to serve God. You know, Michelle, uh, I, I wrote down several times, she was just such a steady rock that we could go to and talk to. Uh, Holly and Adrian would go into a room full of teenage girls and it was like lighting up the world. They just, they they showed love for these girls and they saw the love that they have for Jesus and it just, it was instant unity. You know, I saw Ezra and Trina uh, leading in worship in a crammed van. I still don't know how Ezra had room to like play. but that brought joy. They used their skills to bring us all closer together. Um, some of you know my wife, Bridget. Um, she does uh, Mary Kay, so she's into fashion and, and uh, uh, makeup and all that stuff. And they did a uh, women's night at the church in Fagundas. And she made connections, you know, with women over nail polish, right? She used that skill. And then finally, I was thinking, um, I don't know if some of you know Brian Lipsky. Uh, the Lipsky family is, is uh, in Texas right now. Brian and I attempted to teach the kids American football. That did not go well. Um, we stopped after the first pass, kind of went through the kids and smashed them in the nose. So we switched to wiffle ball after that. But there was fun there. Maybe not for that kid. But he was better afterwards. I gave him a bat. We were all using gifts in simple ways. And there was unity. It was an awesome, awesome experience. Now, why do I remember that stuff so vividly? I wrote down a couple of reasons why. One, during that trip, we were focused on God. We removed distractions. We were in the moment, just like Ezra was, was telling us on Christmas Eve. We were really, I think, a lot of times just thinking about where we were right then and there. We allowed room for the Holy Spirit to be at work. We were in the Word uh, and in prayer, both alone and together. And there was a lot of honesty with each other. 
Now, you might be sitting there and saying, okay, well, that's awesome. You were thousands of miles away, you know, doing all this great work for God. I have kids. I am sick. I have a job. I am trying to get ready for finals. Whatever it is, maybe things are going great, and you're just trying really hard to keep them going great. How are we supposed to live out these characteristics of unity in the midst of all of that? I think it comes down to two things. One, we prioritized it. You can prioritize these things in your day-to-day. It may not be perfect. There are distractions. There are things that are going to take your attention away, but prioritize it in your life. And here's the other. Here's the secret and the answer to our last question. How do we really make this happen? You know, we could go out of here and you could... Yes, I'm, I'm going to be gentle, and I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to... And again, if you're doing that out of your own power, probably by about 2 o'clock it's going to start going down. At least it would for me. Here's the answer to that question. Paul says it again throughout the passage, but um, I think it's pretty plain in verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. If we want real unity in the church and together as God's family, Jesus has to be the head. If we're taking direction from anywhere else, anyone else, even ourselves, we're going to go off the track. You know, if we ignore all that Jesus has done for us and who He is, and we try to remove him from the equation, that unity is not lasting. We see that all the time in the world. They're all the time trying, yes, let's love each other. Let's, what happens? Just, I was listening to the news on NPR on the way in today. I, unless something happened since the first service, I don't think the world has magically all come together and unified. There's something missing. Jesus is what's missing. He, missing. he is the constant. So as I wrap up today, I want to challenge you with a couple of things. If you're following Jesus, I'd ask you to walk out today and just think about, do you prioritize bringing unity into the family of God? What are the skills and abilities that you have, and are you using them in a way to build others up? You know, if you don't know what those skills are, ask God. Or if you do, ask him how he wants you to use it. Just take it to God. Spend some time in prayer. Read through the Word. Go back through this section again. Now, if you're here and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus or if any of the things I'm saying today, you're just wondering, does this really impact my day-to-day life? Here's what I would ask of you. Chew on it. Wrestle with it. Ask hard questions. You know, I can tell you um, from my own personal experience, um, it's kind of interesting how God works. Today is actually the sixth anniversary of me accepting uh, Christ. And what he, thank you. Um, it's funny, I have that noted in here too. And I'm like, oh, I'm preaching that day. Um, I wrestled with so much. And I asked some really hard questions. And here's my promise to you. If you're in that same spot, 
ask those hard questions. Take them to God. He didn't always answer them when I thought he would answer them. He didn't always answer them how I thought he would, or quite frankly, the way I thought he should. I had some great ideas too. But he never, ever has failed me. Never once. So that is what I'm asking you to walk away with today. You've heard the truth of the gospel today. It's been presented to you. And now the question is, how are you going to respond to it? The one thing I ask you is just don't be passive about it. Take a step and see what God does with it. Let's pray.